a spiritual discipline, but which to me, I think is vitally important and uh, which really I'm, as I think you've probably gathered about me before, something that I'm really uh, passionate about um, in many ways, it, it kind of speaks to the heart of our heart for Arcadia initiative and its mission to you know, combat loneliness by building a tight knit Christian community. And the reason for that reason for that mission, the reason why this matters to me so much is simply that uh, the life of faith is more joyful when we live it together. Um, when we're trying to, to go it alone, we can do it, maybe, but for sure, sometimes God calls people into that. It's not the way that God has ordinarily arranged things to be, um, both just in a general kind of human sense, how he has created human life to be lived, but also need more so when it comes to the life of faith. Um, as Christians, it's meant to be lived together. And it's more joyful from when we do that. And so we're going to dig into this spiritual discipline of practicing faith in community. Um, that's called koinonia, and we're going to define that in just a minute. But let me uh, open us here with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for gathering together your people, the church, and we pray, dear Lord, that we would not uh, forsake the company of your saints, but continue and eagerly um, desire the fellowship with one another. We pray, Lord, that as we're studying your word today, that you would lead us to a deeper understanding and appreciation for the gift that you have given to us in this, your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the way, so koinonia, again, as a Greek word, just rolls off the tongue. Go ahead, everybody say it. Koinonia. Koinonia. It's an Italian term. No. Um, and it's often translated as fellowship. And, you know, that's okay, but fellowship can be a pretty flimsy term. It, it really can be. It's the kind of thing that people throw out there, and it might call to mind any number of things. In fact, when you hear the word fellowship, just you know, be honest. What are the first things that come to mind? Potluck. Okay. Well, later we'll talk about the theological significance of potlucks. But good. Yeah, what else comes to mind with fellowship? Okay. Oh, okay. There you go. Gotcha. Sure. Yes. Okay. So the ga gathering together of Christians, perhaps in a, for a particular purpose or, or calling. Good. Other things that come to mind when you hear fellowship? Family get together. Sure. Esther, you, you were to say something? No, okay. I just always expect that, maybe. Uh, I know Esther's going to have something good to say. <laughs> I mean, just being honest, when I hear fellowship, coffee, you know, I think coffee comes to mind. Um, so things that are more and less spiritual, and it's not a bad term, don't get me wrong. Um, I also think of, you know, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, right? Um, very cool. But koinonia is even richer than this. Um, so the, the Greek word can be variously translated as fellowship or communion, okay? It's used to describe the, the gift of Holy Communion in the New Testament. Participation. So it comes from the root koinos, which means something in common. And so koinonia is things that are held in common. And just to really underscore, it's life together in Christ. When we talk about koinonia, it's life together in Christ. And the gift that God gives to us in 
Holy Communion, Lord's Supper, but also that he gives to us in this communion of saints, the church. And uh, with the uh, confirmation kids, they've been memorizing, learning by heart, the Apostles' Creed. And um, I've found that's helpful to help reinforce it. There's different kinds of learners. And so uh, we do a kind of modified sign language with it. In other words, a Tenetti version of sign language. It's not American sign language. It's just things that I make up. Um, but when we talk about, uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, I have the kids do this, right? You remember this? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the people. They get a kick out of that. The koinonia, the communion of saints right there. All that interwoven. There's something to that too, right, Esther? That interwoven, that knit togetherness of the church as well. So when we talk about koinonia as a spiritual discipline, then this is number two on your handout. I put it this way. Koinonia is the discipline of practicing faith in community. It's the discipline of practicing faith in community. Why does that need to be a discipline? Why can't that just be a natural sort of thing? Why is it something that instead it has to be a kind of intentional spiritual discipline? Yeah, that's, that's spot on. So when you don't feel good, you don't want to associate with other people, it's easier just to, you know what, I'm going to go my own way. Kind of goes to the message of the sermon today too, right? You know, um, just thinking of all those different contrasts of, you know, the, the emptiness of, of isolation and just a self-sought life versus the fullness of community. Also the messiness of, of community. But uh, yeah, other things you guys would add, why does this need to be a discipline? Yeah, court. Say again. The chief of sin is always uh, working on the de- Yeah, exactly. And uh, I say it a lot. Devil's, uh, one of his core strategies is to divide and conquer, right? The devil's always trying to divide and conquer because he knows if he's got us, um, you know, isolated, alone, we're much more susceptible to him and to, to his attacks. Good. Yeah, Leslie. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you have to make time. This is one of those things you can't, you're not just going to find. Isn't that just a funny phrase? I'm going to find the time. So time is just laying around. It's not a scarce resource. There's just time all over the place. And I'll find the time. No, this is something you need to make time. In other words, you need to be intentional, to carve it out. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And uh, when it comes to building tight-knit community, it's not something that happens naturally. It's not something that happens naturally. Just because we get together for worship on Sunday morning does not automatically ensure that we're going to be cultivating community. We've got to go further. We've got to take those steps um, in order to make that happen. Um, I mean, that's been true from time eternal. So this is, this is what koinonia is about, that discipline of practicing faith and community. Look at Ephesians 4. In many ways, I think this is kind of the key passage for thinking about the spiritual discipline. Paul writes, and he, that is God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How about that phrase? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Notice Satan showing up there. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Man, there is a whole lot just in that passage to unpack that. This is one of those famous kind of Paul run-on sentences where he just gets going. But the thing that really stands out to me is how corporate this term is. Not corporate in the sense of Nike, just do it, something like that. But corporate from the root term of corpus, body, okay? It's not individual, it's corporate. It's all of God's people coming together. When he talks about our maturation in faith, he doesn't talk about it in terms of an individual achievement. He talks about it in terms of a corporate gift that's realized together within the body of Christ as we are together growing up into our head, our Lord Jesus. And notice that that maturity can only happen, can only happen when every joint we're joined and held together, when each part is working properly. When it's all coming together, that's when the church grows and flourishes as God has intended. You guys know, uh, you listen to enough of my sermons that I kind of have an interest appreciation for military history. And lately, believe it or not, I only just now watched that miniseries, uh, Band Brothers. You guys see this from HBO. It was like 20 years ago now. These paratroopers during World War II. and so it's, it's got all that military history, but as the title suggests at the bottom, it's really about these men coming together and recognizing, you know, to have that esprit de corps, as it's called, right? That spirit of, of the corps. And notice that word core, C-O-R-P-S, connected to corpus, corporate, again, the body. Um, it, they are only able to really succeed in their mission when they come together, right? When they can rely on one another, when they're going to sacrifice sacrifice for the sake of each other. That's where it comes from. This is the vision that Paul's laying out here. That the church flourishes when Christians live in community. Jesus, who's often much more gathered in my name, there am I among them. Um, the way I like to put it is that there is an irreducible communality, if that's a word, to the Christian faith. Um, that doesn't mean, of course, that when you're by yourself, prayers to come through. That's not what he's saying. But that in a special way, especially significant way, when we gather together as believers, even just two or three, that there Christ is present for us in a way that he, he isn't, or we're not able to experience him when it's just us by ourselves. That's a remarkable thing. And I hope that you could attest to that in your own life. That, you know, when I'm by myself, um, I'm able to, to know the Lord, but I need other believers to encourage me, to spur me on, to challenge me, right? Uh, to be Christ for me. This is where this discipline of koinonia really comes in. Uh, why do you think that God would build this in to the life of faith, this irreducible communal aspect to the life of faith? Why, why would he do that? Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Yes, we, we, we need each other. He's made us that way. And, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The last year, I'm not somebody who, you know, is uh, conspiracy theorizing that, you know, people are, are specifically trying to separate us, isolate us. But do I think that Satan has used this? Absolutely, right? Um, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to recognize that. Like, this is what the devil is going to exploit that uh, because we do. We are created uh, for community. Goes back to the beginning, too. Yeah, Tara. Yep, it's not good to be. It's not good to be alone. Dogs are man's best friends. We just got a new puppy, but that, that's not community. You need another human being. Okay, you you need that. That's how we're made, and we are made in the image of the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A communion of persons, as it were. That's the God in whose image we are created. Therefore, it makes sense that we need each other. Yeah, Court. Say again. That's right. Love does not work alone. Uh, Galatians 6 says, uh, bear one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. What that suggests is if we are to fulfill the law of Christ, we can't do it by ourselves. We, if we want to live faithful Christian lives, you can't do it by yourself. You can't bear one another's burdens. Well, let me rephrase that. You, you can't fully bear each other's burdens. You can through, through prayer. That's something that you can do individually, but ultimately it's a life that has to be lived in, in company of others. If we're going to love each other, that's right, Cor. Very good. So this is how he has made us. We need to recognize that and not, not dismiss it, but live into lean into that messy reality. Okay. So number three on your handout, then koinonia is a spiritual more than a human reality. And I left these blank uh, for you to fill in here to talk about if you don't have a pencil or pen, Andy, my apologies. I'll get, get you uh, the answers afterward. Um, but this is just me kind of um, fleshing this out a little bit as I'm thinking about it. So biblical koinonia, first of all, is divinity-based. Okay, This biblical koinonia, it comes from God. It's divinity-based. Whereas worldly community, merely worldly community, is affinity-based. <laughs> so instead of being based on God and his word and his spirit. It's just based on things that we all share in common or things that we both like. Okay. I'm not saying that this is bad or it's wrong. It's just not the same as Christian community. You know, if we just all get together because we all like riding bikes, we all like fishing. Okay. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the fullness of Christian community. See, it's merely affinity based rather than divinity based. The real power of the church comes in many ways how it, it crosses these divides that are so natural. People who wouldn't otherwise hang out with each other find themselves to go together within the church. So secondly, then, biblical koinonia is founded in water and the word. Okay, It comes from the water of holy baptism. It comes from the word of holy scripture, the word as it's proclaimed. Whereas worldly community, to use the pretty loaded phrase, comes from blood and soil. In other words, it's about having the same ethnicity. It's about having the same geography. Those are the things that historically you still see. People tend to, once again, there's a way in which those things can be, it's a beautiful thing. Having love of one's, of one's country, of one's fellow citizens, 
is appropriate. God has, has made it that way. But more than that, it, I mean, you've seen it in state churches throughout history, in Europe and elsewhere, when the church just becomes about everybody who, who looks like me or is the same nationality, you don't need me to tell you how that has gone awry, right? Recognize that our biblical koinonia does not originate from blood and soil, but from water and word. Water, in this case, baptismal water, is thicker than blood, see? Thirdly, biblical koinonia transcends time and space. We're part of that communion of saints with those who are living and those who are living before God in, in the way that we typically call death, right? It transcends all of that most fundamental division of living and dead. It transcends certainly national borders. It transcends time that we are united all together in this hidden way. Whereas worldly community, of course, is going to be limited by time and space. It will not be able to transcend those limits um, because it can only go where people are and in a particular time. The church uh, goes beyond that. And then finally, biblical koinonia is a gift, whereas worldly community is an achievement. Biblical koinonia comes to us from above, comes to us from God as a gift of his grace. Worldly community is affected through work and toil. And once again, I mean, so we're talking about this, it takes intention, um, but that's different from saying, well, it comes as a result of my efforts. No, our efforts are never going to be able to forge true Christian community. That only comes from God and his grace. And you could go all over the place with the scriptures to look at this, but uh, perhaps the most famous compelling picture of this, especially from the early church, is in Acts chapter 2, where it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and di distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um, I think I've shared this anecdote before, but... Um, you may know it, as an undergrad at Michigan State, I was a sociology major. That was like my fourth or fifth major. So none of them were long enough to really stick. Um, but the one that I finished with, the one that I was the longest with, was a sociology major. And in one of my capstone classes as a senior, um, I wrote this long paper comparing and contrasting this biblical vision in Acts chapter 2 with Karl Marx's vision for communism and how his, what his vision was. And when it came down to it, is that from that biblical perspective, this kind of sharing, because that's what people focus on, the sharing of every, you know, nobody had any need. They had it all together. And communism's like, yes, exactly. This is what we're talking about. The big difference, at least as I developed in that paper, is when you see it within the church, it comes spontaneously. It comes freely as the people of God, by faith and stirred by the Holy Spirit, care for others in need. Of course, within Marxism, communism, it comes how? It's coerced, right? It's forced. You're going to be equal whether you like it or not. See? Um, but Marx, I think in many ways, was um, inspired by this biblical picture, but didn't want the faith side of it, right? So how can we achieve that end without God? Of course, it can't happen. That doesn't stop people from trying to make it happen again and again, as uh, the, the sad tales of history bear out. But that's not how God has, has created it to be has to come as a gift from him. And uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 
also says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Usually translated fellowship there, but again, the koinonia comes from him. I don't know. Is there anything from that picture in Acts 2 that especially that you find a part, particularly challenging or particularly compelling? This is one that we often look to when we talk about Christian community, but is there any aspect of it that is especially stands out to you either in a way that positive or maybe in a way that more, you know, kind of gets at you. Yeah. Leslie. I've been typing the charge off verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings. Mm -hmm. And I think people who have come from a poor background. Yeah. As children. And now they're adults and they never have things. Yeah, right. That's hard. Sure. Very hard. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I mean, it's a, I think, let's be honest, though, for any of us, right? I mean, I think of the rich young ruler um, coming to Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, one thing you lack, go sell all you have and follow me. And his reaction is, oh, <laughs> can't we do something different? But I, I, I think that's right, whether someone is impoverished in the ways of the world or whether they're rich. It, it, this can be a hard word to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't give you data on that, but um, I mean, I think that there's certainly very many uh, poor people that they just aren't, aren't concerned for the uh, possessions of this world. You know, you think of the widow's might, obviously. Um, the, she gave more than the one who gave out of his abundance. She gave out of her lack, that kind of sacrifice. So it's, I mean, it's a powerful picture and testimony to God's work within someone's life. Yeah, Hans. Yeah, right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. So yeah, Hans is bringing up, and you might remember back when we were studying Acts, right on the heels of that, or in Acts chapter five, you have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who did give to the church, but they didn't give everything. They were holding things back. And, you know, Peter calls them out on it and they, they drop dead on the spot. Whoa, okay, that's a more interesting voters meeting. Um, but as you say, it wasn't the fact that they weren't giving enough. It's the fact that they were lying, that they were trying to be deceptive. And um, it, would, it would kind of be like if they were fudging the numbers to make it look like they were more generous within the eyes of the church than they actually were. You can't. Who are you kidding? God loves a cheerful giver. Like, don't, don't pretend like you're doing more, more than you are, right? Um, so, but it is challenging. There's no two ways about it. When you see that picture where they were like so invested in the community as a whole, they were willing even to sell stuff so that they had money to, to give to others. That's powerful. Yeah, Esther. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's right. That's exactly right. It isn't really mine anyway. And I, I appreciate you bringing into it the conversation of giving and tithing because really the word koinonia, one of its other um, 
uh, meanings or definitions that can be used is for a gift for the sake of the church. It's used in Philippians to describe um, Paul, really koinonia, uh, Philippians is like a fundraising letter, or it's more of a letter. It's like the letters that Chip uh, sends out after people have given a gift because they had given a gift. Um, and so he was thankful for that and just overflowing with, with joy and gratitude. And that's why he writes letters to the Philippians because he recognizes that that koinonia is that sharing that's uh, giving back to the Lord what already belongs to him, right? 10%, that's all I've got to give. You know, and of course, um, uh, I'll say that uh, koinonia, the, the, uh, you don't have to give 10%. You can give much more than that, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, it's like just returning to the Lord what's already his for the sake of, of building up the church, not just about us. It's for the sake of others as well. Um, yeah, go ahead, Gordon. Yeah, so this is, this is a good point. So Gordon's, you know, talking about the kind of really deep, profound need of uh, someone that he had met from North Korea, just had absolutely nothing. Um, to which I've got to say a couple of things. I think, first of all, it's that you're absolutely right. I mean, for us just to live in America already means that we already have way, way, way more. It puts us like in the upper echelons, and we are so blessed and so fortunate. But there is also this, which is that, when you are in a place of need, it's not much comfort to say, well, but you're in America, which is a, a very wealthy nation. Be that as it may, there's still folks within Arcadia. I mean, um, our little free pantry gets emptied every single day. And part of that is because, you know, somebody just needs a cup of sugar and they're happy to come and get it. We take things from it. But it's, uh, it's especially I see people who are coming and I can tell they're hungry, you know, just flat out don't have food. And uh, so it is there. But, uh, but you're right. I mean, we, we start from a place of great blessing and having more than we could really ever ask for or imagine in this life. Uh, I don't have a watch. Can somebody kind of alert me when we're at like 22? Uh, in other words, like 20 till, like 940 or so. Where are we at right now? 1027. Okay, good. Plenty of time, yes. Let's keep going then. Number four on your handout, koinonia comes in two dimensions, okay? I've already hinted at this. The two dimensions are koinonia with God, that vertical relationship, and our koinonia, or fellowship communion with one another. Notice this in 1 John chapter one. If we say that we have fellowship, koinonia with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. Notice John's turn of phrase there. Truth is something that you practice. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
there's this indissoluble relationship with, with God and one another. We can't live in darkness toward each other and somehow live in light with God, vice versa. They go together. That koinonia with him leads over into koinonia with others. Paul puts it more succinctly in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the koinonia, the communion of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Does he mean the communion with his son, Jesus? Or does he mean the communion that comes from his son, Jesus, with others? I would say the answer is yes. It's both of those things, that two-dimensional relationship. And I, I can say, I think probably some of you have intuited this, if not explicitly kind of worked it out. This is really the biggest loss of when we do the continuous distribution for communion. I'm not saying this is, we shouldn't be doing this. It's not, not important. I think it's a good thing that we've been doing it. But it's not without a loss. It's not just, oh, this is great. Things are quicker. It's safer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's benefits to it. But the biggest loss to me is the, the symbolic significance of us coming together side by side to receive the body and blood of Jesus. Because it's not just a me and Jesus moment. It's me, Jesus, and all these other sinners who are here in need of him. See, it's recognizing the church as a hospital of sinners and not a museum of saints, that together here we are in need of, of our Lord and his grace and blessing. So, you know, I expect we'll continue the continuous distribution for at least a, a little while, but I want you to know that's not my plan permanently, okay? Because I just think too much is, oh, thank you. Yes, good. Um, I just think too, I think too much is, is lost in that, in that respect. And we already, there's so much in our culture that's pushing us to just that individual kind of view. Anything that we can do to push back against it is, I think, a good thing even if for a time we need to, to do it. I mean, we do it in the summertime too, when the place is packed back in those days. Um, but, uh, I don't know, get off my soapbox there, sorry. <clears throat> but it re recognizes and affirms those two dimensions of the koinonia, see. So then number five, this goes right along with it. Koinonia is found and founded in Christ. So also from First John, uh, John writes that, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship koinonia with us. And indeed our koinonia is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And I cut it off there, but I referenced this verse a few weeks ago in a sermon. John then next says, and we, uh, we proclaim these things to you in order that our joy might be complete. See, because he recognizes that in the proclaiming and in the growing of the, the fellowship of God's people, there's more joy. See, joy multiplies, doesn't subtract. Um, and so the more that we're able to uh, gather together to um, be the body of Christ, the more joyful it is. For us in the life of faith. And similarly, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a koinonia in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a koinonia in the body of Christ? The, that koinonia is found and founded in Jesus. Um, I've got a longer quote here from you. I'm going to um, just give you the, the key parts. This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, which is not only one of my favorite theology books, but one of the most influential for me, just this narrow little book on Christian community. He says, our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. 
Okay, this, to be in Christian community happens only in and through Jesus. Then at the end of that, we have one another only through Christ, but through Christ, we do have one another wholly for eternity. Bonhoeffer's really adamant on this point that our, our Christian community is not just the country club sort of thing, right? It's not just, hey, these are the people that I like, we can get together. It's the people who have been forged together by the body and blood of Jesus, see? Our communion stems from the communion that we have with Christ. And it doesn't matter our demographics, doesn't matter our background. We come together because we're united in Christ by water and the word, through body and blood. That's where it comes from, see? So then, koinonia, I want to, to get to something I, I mentioned before about the theological significance of potlucks. Here, we're getting close to it. So number six, koinonia is realized in the body of Christ. So it comes from Jesus himself. But for us really to live it and to experience the significance of it, it comes through the body of Christ, the church. Okay, Romans 12, and there's other passages similar to this, says, for by the grace given to me, I say to you, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So for us to realize that koinonia means that we need everybody. See, everybody's got a strain at the oars. We're all in together. We need the person who teaches to teach. We need the person who serves to serve, the one who gives to do so in generosity. All of us together, working together, like that passage from Ephesians that we started with. That's how the body of Christ is built up. Doesn't just come from us kind of going our own way, but together. And again, 1 Corinthians 12, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So when I think about potlucks, you think about how a potluck is an image and an icon of precisely this. We call a potluck, I guess as Christians, maybe we should call it a pot blessed. Um, but uh, it's the idea that, hey, uh, this meal is not going to be complete unless Connie brings her cheesy potatoes and Esther brings her jello thing and Leslie brings her chili, you know, whatever it might be. It's the idea like everybody has something to contribute and we are in some way poorer or hungrier if you're not there. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, it's a mundane thing. It's something that we just think, oh, that's just part of our kind of Lutheran culture or whatever. And it is that, but it's more than that. It's more than that. That's why, again, oh, let me get on the soapbox again. We had, we, we cut off doing the suppers, the Lent suppers this year. Again, COVID, thanks COVID. That's not a permanent change, okay? It's a temporary sacrifice and it is a sacrifice because it's not just about getting together to have a meal. It's an image of who we are as the body of Christ, see? Not, when we call it a fellowship supper, mean that in the fullest sense. It's a koinonia supper. We're breaking bread together. And my hope is that as we emerge out of this, that we are just going to double down 
on the need and the recognition for this. And again, it really fits with our, our mission of Heart for Arcadia, of combating loneliness by building tight-knit Christian community. I think one of the chief ways that we do that is by eating together, right? By enjoying one another's company that way um, and enjoy, by enjoying one another's food. Yeah, Ann. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, I think of, we've got Hans here. Hans, with your voice. Now we, we've got that strong male voice up front that I needed when we're, you know, we're singing in worship that helps to, you know, to, to center it. I think, and, and I guess in its own way, a choir is also kind of gets at this, right? Um, need all those parts of the body. That's right. Vocal cords included. Um, yeah, Esther. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't want you to be getting a bunch of orders later. Like, <laughs> I so much of this jello. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're just making this up. But you get the idea. You get the idea. All right. I sense we're we're winding down here. Um, Thirty. Okay. Perfect. So number seven, then koinonia needs to be nurtured, not neglected. This goes back to what we said. It has to be, it's a, a spiritual discipline because it has to be intentional. It's not just going to happen. It needs to be nurtured and not neglected. So Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I, I wrote about this a few weeks ago in one of my inklings, how easy it is for us to fall into habits. And I find it so interesting that that's how the author of Hebrews frames it there, is you get into the habit of neglecting to meet together because you haven't been doing it for a while. And then, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, right? You, got, you guys are here. But I think it's something we want to continue to stir up our fellow brothers and sisters who maybe ha haven't been coming and recognizing being compassionate toward everybody is, is kind of working their own way. That's fine, okay? That's part of it. But it's recognizing that at some point, you need, you, need, you need the body of Christ. You need the gift of Holy Communion. You need the church. And that the longer we go isolated and alone, the, again, the more susceptible we are to the temptations of the evil one and of our own sinful flesh. See? So don't neglect it. Need to, to nurture it. And maybe we just need to be even more intentional in a season of social distancing, right? Um, and that brings me to five ideas that I want to give you. And I, didn't, I don't think I included this in your handout, but... Um, let me give you five ideas for practicing koinonia, just very practical stuff. So the first one, following off on that, is put in a call to a fellow parishioner that you haven't seen in a while, okay? And that could be because you're just in a different service, right? That's fine. Um, or it could be because they, they haven't been around. Um, but put in a phone call to somebody that you haven't seen for a while. Uh, not to say, hey, where you been? But just to, to say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. I miss you. How are you? But, you know? Maybe I see something you put on Facebook, but that's not the same thing, right? Um, and, and just to, to reconnect with each other. Second idea, introduce yourself to someone in church whom you haven't met or whose name you have forgotten. Now, this is the, this is the danger and so interesting how like the sine qua non, the without which none of community is knowing each other's names. 
it is it's possible, but is it, it is extremely likely that you are going to develop any kind of relationship with somebody whose name you don't know. It's extremely unlikely. You can only get away with it for so long. You guy. All right. So I'm just going to go through here to bless you guys, just in case you're looking around. And you're like, I don't know that guy's name. Okay. So right here, we've got Connie. You should know Connie. She's the, she's the one up there making the music. Right. She's up there. Okay. We got Connie, Hans, and Gordon. Okay. All dankies. My lovely wife, Antonetti, over there, and Tara here beside her. And this pew, we have Ben and Esther Lusmore, and then Paul and Jill Schuler. Not in that order. Jill and Paul Schuler. Um, and then Court and Leslie Winter. So uh, I, I don't know. The name tag thing can be kind of cheesy, but I'm not against it because really, if you don't know each other's names, the relationship just stops right there. So I think that's something for us to think about. Maybe I'll talk about it with the elders. How can we institute that and not just have it be a corny or annoying thing, but actually a blessing? Yeah, Hans. Yeah. Okay, there you go. You don't know these people, you're going to die. There you go, yeah. Which, I mean, to be fair, the introverts are like freaking out when they hear that. Like, oh, I'm going to go to a different church. But I think I, I like that kind of idea, like to introduce and get connected to others in the, in the congregation. Let me give me three more quick ones. Thirdly, vol volunteer to serve in something that you haven't done before, preferably with somebody else. Not doesn't have to be that. Like, maybe you're like, I don't have somebody else. That can be a great way to connect with others um, as to serve together. Whether that be, you know, altar guild. Maybe you find a, a pair for altar guild or Sunday school or helping out on the grounds. You know, someday we're going to be close to spring here. There's going to be a lot of work to do. Can't just rely on Paul and Marie all day. So, um, there, I mean, there's so many different ways. And if you want more ideas, come and talk to me with that. Um, fourthly, kind of along the lines of what Hans was saying, Easter is around the corner. Consider inviting another household or even two. Governor Whitmer has said now you can invite two households. Um, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, but invite another household or two over for Easter dinner. Okay. If you are going to just have an Easter dinner by yourself, or I don't know if, I, if the Bluffs is going to do brunch or something, invite some other uh, folks over. Do, the, do it together. And then um, finally, maybe the hardest one of all, ask for help or prayer when you need it. Because dependence is a virtue in the body of Christ. What I mean by that is community, to go back to that band of brothers analogy, they were really brought together as a community because they had to depend on one another. They had to rely on each other. And there's so many ways in which we resist that. It's humbling. It's humbling to admit you need some help. It's humbling to ask for prayer, but boy, is it such a gift and a blessing. And uh, my encouragement and admonition to you is just don't resist it. Yeah, Leslie. Sure. Because 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. So even if it's a small thing, you know, but if somebody's offering to help, not to spurn that, but to accept that, because again, like you say, that's a way that they are able to be blessed to serve. We have that need to serve and to, and to give to others. So don't turn that down. That's very good. Yeah. Any other thoughts or comments along these lines? Koinonia, Christian community, doesn't happen naturally. It takes, it, it takes effort. It takes intentionality. But what a gift it is. The life of faith is more joyful when we live it together. And that's really my vision and, and hope for our congregation here at Trinity. And uh, it, it, it's a challenge. It's an ongoing thing. But uh, what a blessing it is in Christ. So let's close with a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we do give you thanks for this, your church, this fellowship of saints and sinners whom you have gathered together. We pray, dear Lord, that by the power of your spirit, we would make time for one another, that we would be um, honest and vulnerable with our struggles and our challenges so that we may be blessed and be a blessing to others. Uh, how good it is, Lord, and how pleasant it is when we dwell together. Thank you for this gift in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Thank you, friends. Conversation today. See you next week.